Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor in Focus podcast with Simon Harrington, Head of Public Affairs at Advisor Trade Body PIMFA, who will explain to us how a new form of advice could help the industry reach those with simpler needs, who would benefit from advice but currently aren't receiving it. The FCA has calculated there are 15.6 million UK adults with investable assets of £10,000 or more, of who 37% hold the assets entirely in cash, and a further 18% hold more than three quarters in cash. To be able to serve these clients, PIMFA has called on a regulator to allow advisors to diverge sufficiently from current suitability requirements without fear of regulatory backlash down the line. This would need a change to the FCA handbook and prescribed questions to help firms establish suitability. Simon, hi, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me on, Carmen. Um, so, Simon, the issue that always crops up when we talk about simplified forms of advice, um, those that sit in between full advice and non-advice guidance, is the need to comply with all the suitability requirements on the one hand and the fear of unexpected liabilities on the other. Mm. Can you explain how PIMFA's simplified advice addresses this dilemma and why the FCA's ideas for a guided sales model, which was circulated last year, are not enough? Sure. Thank you. So I think the issue the issue that we have is that current suitability requirements are right. Okay. So I, I think we should before before we go further, we should set out that we do not think that there is scope to water down what is currently full fat advice because ultimately holistic holistic advice is geared towards the individual sort of receiving the best possible outcome and taking full account of the suitability of their needs and and, and finding products that sort of uh, match them the issue that we have is that that is expensive it is it, it is costly it carries time and it, and it carries sort of resource uh, requirements there is a large proportion of the population with demonstrably simple needs who would benefit from a level of professional support but maybe do not need a uh, a solution which provides them with the absolute best outcome so what we want is to look at the idea of what a personal recommendation is and find a process which sits between the full fat personal recommendation of holistic advice and doing nothing at all or sort of receiving kind of very basic guidance. So we think simplified advice is an option there in which a firm, an advisor can come to a general recommendation based on a very sort of high level understanding of, of the individual's sort of needs and objectives and sort of recommending products which basically fit within their objectives but crucially are better than doing nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And so why can we not use our current regulatory framework to serve to, to serve those 15.6 million people that we need to serve? Um, now, for instance, we already have advice models that offer tiered annual subscriptions, um, somewhat similar to Netflix. Mm. Um, is this not a model that could work similarly well? I think the issue that we have is... A lot of that is sort of rooted in handbook guidance rather than the actual handbook, which leads us to a sort of carry-on between the industry and the regulator in which the regulator is basically telling the industry at the moment, you can do more. And the industry in turn is saying, well, if we do this, is it going to be regulatory permissible? 
And the FCA is unable to say yes, because it is ultimately guidance. So what you end up with is the vast majority of the industry saying, well, we are not willing to take that regulatory risk. And a small and very small proportion of, of, of the industry are sort of willing to take that risk, but they tend to be startups, they tend to sort of be very small. And ultimately, it is unlikely, we think, with the way in which the handbook is currently sort of constructed, that the vast majority of the industry will sort of follow in that path because ultimately the risk to them and the risk to their sort of established books is is far too high. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, you've asked the FCA for handbook changes to be made. Um, have you had any feedback from the FCA? Look, I mean, the issue is really not with the FCA. The issue is with the Treasury. And it is with the review of MIFID and it is with what is and is not a personal recommendation. What what we need is we need a review of that within MIFID and ultimately what we need for that is resource and we don't have resource at the moment. The Treasury are alive to the issue, the FCA are alive to the issue but there are current resource constraints and one of the things that we'll be doing uh, when the new Prime Minister is in place, whoever they are, is to be asking them to specifically look at this issue because it is an issue. It is an issue not just for the accumulation of wealth, it's an issue for the decumulation of it as well. We we live in a society where pension freedoms are prevalent and you have hundreds of thousands of people retiring every year with no form of professional support. And that is an issue. And we've seen what that means in terms of sort of what it exposes people to, as well as sort of the choices that they make. So we think it should be a priority for the next government, uh, whoever leads that particular government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's look at the um, proposals um, in a little bit more detail. I'm particularly interested in in what four of those things that you've outlined mean in practice. Um, so the first one is you asked... Um, the government, I suppose, or the FCA? Well, it'd be the actual, so again, so the actual handbook requirement would be simplified advice. It would be a new regulatory activity. But in order to have that regulatory activity, you would have to change the definition of personal recommendation. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So um, you've asked them to set out specific indicators for when firms can offer a simplified advice solution. What, um, how could that look in practice? So again, this actually goes, interestingly, it goes back to what a personal recommendation is. We think... Ultimately, this is something that can be determined through a triage process. So by an initial conversation with the client, if the client sort of comes to the individual and sort of says, look, I've got £30,000 to invest, we, we, as it happens, we don't think that there should be a cap on, 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 on simplified advice. But for the purposes of this conversation, we'll say the, the individual has £30,000. They have reasonably sort of simple needs. I just want to put the money into an ISA or a pension or a general general investment account. Um, the individual obviously sort of has or feels that they are sort of able to invest and and through that sort of conversation within what is sort of reasonable, the advisor can basically determine, well, look, this guy is on a simple journey. As a result, I think they would benefit from simplified advice. And as a result, they could then sort of say, based on the very, very high-level knowledge that I have of you, we're going to go through a simplified device process rather than a holistic advice process. So I'm basically just going to make it easier for you to buy something with the benefit of sort of the confidence that I confer onto you as an advisor of sort of knowing what I am doing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, 
you want um, the FCA at the end of the day to allow firms to diverge sufficiently from existing yeah. suitability requirements when they provide this simplified advice. Yeah. Um, what, um, so what exactly? Again, so current suitability requirements basically mean that the individual in question has to receive the most suitable, the best outcome. Again, this is based on what a personal recommendation is. If the advisor feels confident that they can arrive at a general recommendation, for example, so based on a broad sort of understanding of, you know, your income, your levels of debt, your outgoings, a very, very, very high level fact find. Again, these are something I know you're about to get onto it based on the bullet points, uh, <laughs> but um, a very, very high level fact find as set out by the FCA, which basically says, look, you have to exist within these specific tram lines. That to us is a sort of very kind of different level of suitability than is currently sort of uh, required by, by firms. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that advisors can currently do? Well, again, so the FCA's argument is that they can. And we accept that to an, to an extent because there are that there is there is there is handbook guidance around sort of streamlined guidance. The issue that you have with it is that there is very little appetite for firms to do so because by doing it, doing so is a risk, right? It is a risk. So again, if you speak to the FCA about it, they'll say, "Well, look at all these startups who are sort of doing it." Our argument in return is, "Well, of course, startups are doing it because if they fail, it." doesn't matter right you know there is a there is that is the risk of being a startup you can do something new and ultimately if it doesn't work out you just sort of close your doors and you go sort of somewhere else but we have to think about what the 14 15,000 other firms which exist in the market who maybe don't have that level of risk tolerance and as a result we consider that there needs to be a new regulatory requirement for them to sort of undertake that mm -hmm. um and this brings me on to the um the the next kind of point, which is that you're asking the FCA to adapt its handbook to provide firms with the certainty that yeah. they can do these kind of things. Um, so what that means is literally you want a paragraph in the handbook. We want a paragraph in the handbook, a new regulatory activity. This is simplified advice. This is how you do it. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a result, firms can refer back to that. And then, of course, to go with this, you want um, a specific set of prescribed questions um, which will then enable firms to establish this kind of base level of suitability information yes. um, to um, recommend um, a set of products. Um, is that a set of specific products that are clearly defined as well? So I think from, from our perspective, we think it makes sense for it to be confined to an ISA, a pension, a general investment account, and maybe that's it for now because... The more you expand it, the more you sort of find yourself in the situation sort of saying, well, you know, what's the difference? It does need to be distinct. It does need to be regulatorily distinct. And as a result, we think that sort of uh, very restricted product set is probably right. Mm -hmm. But again, it's something that we, we understand it's something that could only be done through consultation. And we think that there is sort of scope for the FCA to consult both on sort of the suitability of products as well as sort of what the actual suitability process should look like mm -hmm. in terms of the information that firms need to extract from the individual in question. Mm -hmm. Do you think the FCA would be open to the um, idea of coming up with a set of questions? I think so, yes. I mean, look, the FCA has a problem which is not of its making, right? Um, and... 
we should be very aware of that because it basically set it out in the consumer investment market. We have too many people who are either sort of wholly or sort of partially invested in cash. The FCA would like fewer people to be wholly or partly invested in cash. Anything that can invoke, anything that can expose individuals to an element of controlled investment risk and reduce the risk that they are currently sort of very, very exposed to, i.e. this sort of the risk of inflation, etc., is something that I think that they would ultimately sort of welcome and is ultimately sort of part of the aims and objectives of the consumer investment strategy that they set out in 2020. Okay, well, let's look at um, some of the responses we've had from the industry already on this. Um, so Derek Bradley from Panacea Advisor has mm. said the problem with delivering any form of financial advice is ensuring that the client actually understands the advice given. Um, to make your simplified advice work, he said, uh, products will need to be certified as fit for the simplified purpose they're being designed and recommended for. And the provider whose products are being recommended should be responsible for assessing that it fits. Um, clients should be required to confirm the understand the product and its mm -hmm. suitability and advisors should effectively be off the hook if things go wrong. Now, this this does touch on some of the stuff that's in this consumer duty as yeah. well. Um, the need to ensure consumers understand the products, uh, services provided, but also this idea of the dual responsibility between advisors and providers. Mm. Yeah. Now, what do you make of this in relationship? So, I, I think he's right. Um, again, I think it's it is ultimately something which is solved by the existence of the consumer duty, right? So in creating your distribution strategy, the advisor will be able to look at a subset of products from, from a product manufacturer and say, right, these are part of my distribution strategy for uh, simplified device products. The manufacturer of those products will be able to do exactly the same thing. And ultimately, if you are diverging from that as set out within the data, within sort of the agreed distribution strategy, then, then that is ultimately a breach of the consumer duty. With liability, um, I agree to an extent. However, I just do not think that you can sort of reasonably exist in a world where there is sort of no liability sort of whatsoever. Again, we think the likelihood of providing reasonably sort of simple products within the, to individuals with reasonably simple needs mitigates the risk of something going wrong quite a lot. I think if you actually just look at sort of FOS complaints in general, they tend to be less about accumulation, which is something that we primarily see simplified advice as and more about sort of decumulation. You know, we are not talking about sort of exposing reasonably simple clients to VCTs, EISs, etc. We're talking about sort of reasonably sort of standard stocks and shares, ISAs, etc. Um, I get the point. Um, I just do not think that liability is something that we can just sort of wave away. Mm -hmm. So it would be, a, would it be a shared kind of liability between provider and advisor? In in the event, well, I mean, again, it sort of depends on what what happens. But it, back to sort of the consumer duty, I think in 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 the event of I don't know, for example, the advisor sort of selling something which is ultimately sort of diverging from the intended distribution strategy, or or the other way around, then 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 I think that's something that would have to be looked at. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Well, Kevin Bailey um, has told us that uh, for this kind of type of advice to work. 
the onus is on the FCA to not skirt around the detail, which was kind of briefly mentioned before. So he says the FCA FCA needs to be very specific about what is and what isn't acceptable with regard to simplified advice to ensure consistency amongst firms. There's no room for misinterpretation. There needs to be a level playing field amongst firms. Now, given that this debate has been around for a while, and the, the FCA likes to give best practice examples, but it yeah. doesn't like to be too prescriptive. Mm. Um, how likely is it that we'll get to this level of detail? So, I, I mean, I spend a lot of time uh, throwing shade at the FCA. So I, I guess I get to sort of take this opportunity to say nice things about them in that... One of the things that I think we've seen a lot of in the FCA, from the FCA over the last sort of two years in particular, is when they introduce something new, they are now increasingly sort of showing firms what is good and what is bad. When they do so, they tend to sort of do it in very kind of generalised ways because ultimately a lot of the stuff that they've done over the last two and a half years has sort of been very big and very wide-ranging realistically what we are proposing is actually sort of a small change to the handbook we do not think it is unreasonable for them to sort of set out specific worked up examples within a guidance document which is sort of very very small and yes as a result we we think that there is sort of scope for them to do that but again i go back to the point that i've made a couple of times is that what we need is a distinct regulatory activity rather than rather than guidance on how to do something better. We need the distinct regulatory activity and then the guidance on how that can be met. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's been your feedback from members? I mean, pretty good, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I will... I'll be sort of reasonably candid in that, obviously, firms who are... Firms who are more attracted to this are obviously firms with the scale to to maybe deliver it. Um, but again, like those firms also have a client bank that is maybe diverse is obviously the wrong word, but is maybe sort of a little bit different to sort of smaller, smaller firms who, who you know, tend to tend to focus on other sort of sorts of clients. So, yes, the larger firms are in sort of principle sort of very, very, uh, very welcoming of it. The smaller firms are also, when we've taken it through our sort of reason, our other governance boards have also sort of been pretty pretty welcoming of it. Again, to the point that you made earlier on, newer firms in general, they they sort of feel that they are able to deliver some things within sort of the current current guidance. But again, going back to the point that I made, more established firms in particular sort of see it as a risk that they just are not willing to take without a regulatory activity attached to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you've already alluded to the fact that we're waiting um, on the government, the way the government deals with uh, MIFID um, after Brexit. What happens next in terms of this? So I think, look, what the thing that we need more than anything else is we need resource. We need resource attached to it. We need the Treasury to sort of say, look, we are aware of the issue of advice guidance. We are aware that there is a gap that is too large. I think... There will be people who are listening to this podcast who are basically saying, well, we also need a better sort of guidance regime. And I wholeheartedly agree with them. But ultimately, guidance raises the floor. It doesn't sort of really close the gap. What we need is a commitment from the government to review this, to be it through a consultation, be it through a call for evidence. And then we need them to sort of put forward 
specific solutions. From from our perspective, we think that the right solution is something which sits between advice and guidance. We also just think that there is more that you can do with guidance, which would be an enormous help as well, but it ultimately doesn't close the gap enough. So we would like as many options to be on the table as possible. What we cannot do, which is what we have done, is spend the next sort of three, four years sort of bemoaning the fact that the advice and guidance boundary is sort of not distinct and clear enough and we need to sort of look at it again whilst the Treasury does something else. We need the Treasury to sort of look at this with an element of of priority attached to it and sort of take it forward from there. Great. Well, I look forward to um, seeing what happens next. Um, Thanks very much for coming in and explaining um, your ideas to us. Mm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellandcat.com. Um, and thank you for listening. <laughs>